seated. Today's reading is Psalm 2 in its entirety. Why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the the rulers gather against the Lord and, and against his anointed one. Let us break their chains, they say, and throw off their fetters. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Then he rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will will proclaim the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son. Today I've become your father. Ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You'll rule them with an iron scepter. You'll dash them to pieces like pottery. Therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the sun, lest he be angry and you be destroyed in your way. For his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Andrew. Uh, My name is Jesse. If we haven't met before, and this morning we're going to be looking at Psalm 2. We're in the middle of an annual Summer Psalms series. Last week, I think uh, Miriam and I weren't here, but we looked at Psalm 1. This morning, we're looking at Psalm 2, 148 to go. We're nearly there. Uh, Well, why don't I pray, and then we'll get stuck into the second Psalm. Dear Lord, thank you for your word, and please help us this morning as we come before it. Uh, to get out of it what you want us to. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, There's a cartoon from the comic Calvin and Hobbes, if you know the comic strip Calvin and Hobbes, where Calvin, he says to his little toy tiger in bed one night that he thinks God makes nighttime dark so that we can imagine our fears with less distractions. Uh, I think we would all agree with that at times. Uh, That observation feels very apt, How many hours have we spent in our lives lying awake at night, uh, not only with fears, but with worries, with sadness, with loneliness? Whatever it may be, we are human and we think about things. I have always, and uh, my mum and now my wife as well can attest to this, but I've always through my life had the occasional moment where I'll be stressing out at some point at night Uh, and I'll need to tell someone about it and just talk to someone about it. Uh, When I was at home, it would be mum or dad. Now Miriam has to worry about it. Sometimes it's still mum, but Miriam has to worry about it. Uh, It doesn't happen very often, but when it does, I only want one thing. I want the person I'm talking to to make me not worry. Uh, Often that's as simple as just saying, well, you can't do anything about this right now, Jesse, so go back to bed. Uh, Other times, I want them to convince me why I shouldn't be worrying. Give me facts. Give me a reason I shouldn't be worrying. Prove it to me. Well, here in Psalm 2, we have essentially a conversation just like that. A source of worry and an answer as to why we shouldn't be worrying. We get the author of this particular psalm asking a question of God, and then we hear God's pretty clear answer and solution. 
Uh, Psalm 2 is a great psalm, and it's one that often people think should be read at the same time as Psalm 1. It's a continuation of, in some ways, Psalm 1. Both show very stark uh, contrasts between those who follow the Lord and those who don't, and both finish with talks of those who are blessed, or literally, those who are happy. And Psalm 2 can be split into four sections, and I've called them, uh, for clarity's sake, Our World, God's Response, The King's Rule, and The People's Choice. Firstly, if you're working your way through the psalm, our world. Verses 1 to 3 paints a very bleak picture of the world. A world where God is nowhere to be found. Really, the only place you could even hear of God would be in regards to rulers banding banding together to deny him. Verse 1, why do nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and his anointed. It's a very bleak view of the world. There's no doubt in those words, this is a world that hates God. Uh, And notice that this isn't just a kind of natural drifting away from God, this is an intentional denial of him as ruler. The people are plotting, the nations are conspiring, This is a world that wants nothing to do with God unless it involves conspiring against him, plotting against him, or taking a stand against him. The leaders of the world, and I assume most of the people that those leaders lead, hate God and only want to see him fail and fall. It's a very sad passage of Scripture. And it's made sadder by the fact that I think this is what most of us would think of the world today. This is exactly what it feels like to look around the world, to turn on the news, to read the paper in the morning. This world that you and I live in feels exactly the same as what the psalmist is describing here in Psalm 2. A world that we see parading around sin and applauding wickedness a world where we would struggle to find a country's leader that loves the Lord, let alone actively praises the Lord, a world where we are constantly faced with sadness, with grief, with regret, with shame, in the face of all that we believe as Christians. So we may well ask these same questions as the psalmist. Why, God? Why is this happening, Lord? Why are people being like this, God? And now there are lots of examples of this in our own world. There are examples of this in every country, uh, every day. How often do we hear of the persecution of Christians around the world? Christians who fear meeting together because of the conspiring leaders in charge of them. The leaders and people around them who hate God so much that they would be willing to go to any end to stop people even speaking about him. Uh, Those are extreme examples, but how often do we just see governments intentionally revoking Christian values? Disregarding God, speaking down to Christians. Uh, We must at some point look around the world and think, why is everyone denying you, God? Why is it that this world is intentionally denying you? 
uh, we can feel the same way about ourselves too. John 15, uh, in that chapter, Jesus says, if the world hates you, speaking to us as Christians, keep in mind that it hated me first. Much of the world hates Christ. You can see that in verse 2. It talks about the anointed. Much of the world hates Christ. A lot of the world hates Christians. Why? Lord, why do the kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against you? This is the psalmist, and I'm sure many of us, coming to God just like I used to to my mum and asking, make me not worry about this. Should I be worrying about this? Why is this happening? Verse 1, why? Uh, Do you find yourselves asking God those same sorts of questions? Uh, That's what we've got first in the psalm, our world. Secondly, in verses 4 to 6, we hear God's response to our questions of the world. Uh, The psalmist has asked the question of God. So what is God's response? Verse 4, the one enthroned in heaven laughs. And in case you didn't get it, the Lord scoffs. That's how God responds to these questions that we've raised. He laughs. He laughs at the attempts of the world to hate him, to cast him aside, to break chains, throw off shackles. He scoffs. And now this may seem an odd response to the very obvious fear and doubt that the psalmist has been feeling. I'm sure if this had happened to any of us, we may have been at the very best slightly confused as to God's response. So why is God laughing at this obviously very serious situation? Verse 6, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. God has installed his king and he is in complete control. Look at the difference through the psalm. The kings and rulers say in verse 3, let us. What does God say in verse 6? He says, but I, that's the only response that we need to know, but I, says God, he has installed his king, and that should be enough for us to realize that he is not worried. It reminds me of the the passage in the Gospel of Mark, when Jesus calms the storm, and he asks his disciples, why are you afraid? It's a question that should be funny. Of course we shouldn't be afraid. God is in complete control. We follow God. Not a God that has forgotten about his creation. Not one who doesn't understand the fears that we might be feeling. Rather one that has already placed his own king. For the psalmist, probably King David, the king that would lead Israel, for us here, as we'll go on to see, we follow a different better king. When we worry about the world and its hatred of God and its denial of him as creator, we need to remember this picture. The one that the world is hating and denying is laughing in heaven. Why? I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. It's a response that completely re-centers us after those depressing first few verses. It reminds us of the truth of the gospel, the power that God has. 
Because this is not God being cavalier in his laughter. This is not God being dismissive of our worries. No, God realizes how serious the problem is. We're about to hear of his wrath, which shows that pretty clearly. No, this is God hearing us coming to him with a problem that is not really a problem. In the same way I go to my mum with some sort of outlandish worry or concern and she'd laugh. I'd feel hurt, but she'd laugh. And then she'd say, there is absolutely no reason for you to be worrying about that, Jesse. That's the most ridiculous worry I've ever heard that could literally never happen. Something she still has to say to me quite regularly. Uh, God knows the problem and he realizes the worry that we have. But he is so completely in control that it's laughable that these kings think they have a chance doing anything. The question for us then is why should this be cause for us not to worry? We've asked the question about the state of our world, we've heard God's response. And so next we see the king's rule. Why should we not worry? Why should we not look around the world worrying? It's because of this king. In verses 7 to 9, we have a a new person speaking in the psalm. The son, or God's king that we've been reading about, is speaking now. And he says of God, he says, God said to me, you are my son. Words that might sound familiar from passages like Jesus' baptism or the transfiguration, this is my son. God said to me, you are my son, today I have become your father. Ask me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. The worry may be for the psalmist or for us, well God, I've seen what rulers are like. My entire problem right now is that the rulers we have are terrible. So why is this such good news that you're placing another one? And like I said before, even though David was a great king, he was fallen. He failed and he let people down. However, the great news for us is that today this psalm is not talking of David, a fallen human king. The psalm is speaking of the Son of God, the perfect king, over all of creation. Verses 7 to 9, this is Christ speaking. In Acts chapter 13, we hear Paul reference this psalm in the context of Jesus being the fulfillment of it. This is Christ speaking. The king that God has spoken about has complete control over all of the world. Verse 8, to the ends of the earth. Where the kings and rulers of the first few verses struggle for power, conspiring behind closed doors to try and make a move for control, God's king comes in and has complete control over the whole earth. That's why we shouldn't be worrying. What are those kings now in the face of true power and true control? This is a king so unlike those we are used to being disappointed in, in this world. More than that, while we're worrying about those kings, we're reminded here that God's king will judge them at the end of time. Verse 9, you will rule them with an iron scepter. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. When it looks like the world is out of control, 
when it looks like those who deny God are getting the upper hand, we can be absolutely certain of the future. We can be absolutely sure that this world will not be all we ever know. Jesus will come again. And the great news of this psalm is that we can know this king personally. We can cast our eyes not to these failing rulers of this world, but to a king above all others who knows us personally and loves us eternally. Jesus, the king, is in control and he always will be. We may not be sure of the present. We may not be able to see how God is working in this moment at this time in our lives but we can be absolutely sure that he is working and we can be sure of where we will end up, of who will be ruling when all is said and all is done. I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. That's the king that you and I follow. Uh, Well, with that knowledge, that leaves the world with a choice and that leads us to the last section of the psalm, We've seen our world and our questions about it, which leads to God's response to us, which is the king's rule. Lastly, we have the people's choice. Therefore, says the psalmist in verse 10, you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you be destroyed in your way, for his wrath can flare up in a moment. Last week we heard from the first psalm and we were given a pretty stark contrast between the wise and the foolish men. Well, here in Psalm 2 we're given a contrast, not between the wise and foolish men, but between the outcome of the decisions that these rulers are going to have to make. The psalm is talking about the same kings and rulers from the first few verses, but this time they're given a choice. And the choice is very clear. Choose to follow God's king, choose to follow Jesus, or you will be judged and you will be judged harshly. You will lose your rule, you will lose your authority, and your way will lead to your destruction. These are very harsh words. Uh, But there are three things we should remember in regards to that harshness. Firstly, it's good to remember that these are God's words, not mine, not ours. Secondly, uh, given what we've heard of these rulers, given what we've seen of their plotting and their conspiring and their hatred of God, judgment seems very fair. And thirdly and most importantly, destruction isn't the only option. Verse 10 to 12 is all a choice for the kings and rulers to make. They don't have to be destroyed. They don't have to feel God's wrath flare up. They can choose to serve the Lord and kiss his son. In other words, submit to his son, submit to his king. If they do, verse 12, blessed are all who take refuge in him. Literally, happy are all who take refuge in him. Destruction isn't the only option. In fact, us now, after Jesus, know the real cost 
of the other option. It meant God sending his one and only son to his death. All of that so that we might have another option. What a gracious God. We've just spent 10 verses hearing how much the world hates God. The conspiring, the plotting. And God says you could be saved and you could be blessed and you can have refuge in me. For us here in this room this morning, we have the same choice. Uh, We can choose to place our trust in the leaders of this world, getting overwhelmed by the smooth words or shiny prospects of this life, or we can turn our eyes to the sun, kiss him, trust him, follow him, and find refuge in him. And again, isn't that grace a wonderful thing? Isn't it great news that for us as we come before God with our sin and our lack of knowledge and our guilt and our weaknesses, we can come before God and find refuge. This world is such a mess at the moment. I'm sure that for many of us, our lives may well feel like a mess at the moment. You can find refuge in Christ. God's King. Uh, This is a happy psalm. This is God hearing us when it's dark and we have nothing to distract us from our worries, saying, don't worry, look who's on the throne, look who's in complete control all of the time for all of eternity, you have nothing at all to worry about. We follow a king in whom we have perfect refuge, whom we live a life to please and who will love us when we inevitably fail who will love us even when it appears as though the whole world is crumbling around us, like there's no end to the plotting, no end to the conspiring. For some in this room, the worries of the world may feel like too much. You will look around the world, you will hear the news, and you will think, what is the point? Why, God? There is no hope for this world. Well, remember God in heaven, laughing down at this world and its pitiful attempts to take control. And remember his son, the son that every single person on this earth is given the opportunity to kiss in submission, to bow before and recognize as true ruler and true king, the king who knows us personally, loves us completely, and died so that we might have a relationship with our creator. That is far more important than the things of this world. Let us remember all of that and try not to worry. Let me pray. Dear Lord, uh, we live in a world with, it seems, so much to worry about at the moment. Uh, Help us not to. Help us, when we find ourselves worrying, to set our eyes not on this world, but on your Son and his throne in heaven and uh, for us to remember the control that he has over everything. In Jesus' name, amen.